right. So if people actually got to hear the conversation before we started recording, they'd know they should tune in again in a year or so for whatever that business ends up becoming. But uh, <laughs> the podcast today is with an old friend of mine, uh, Steve Krull, the CEO of Be Found Online out in Chicago. It's a remote podcast this time. So he's way over across the interwebs. And we're still looking at each other, though, thanks to modern technology. So, um, Steve, I obviously know enough about BFO and have known you for a long time, but what, let's just start with what is BFO? What do you guys do at Be Found Online? BFO is a best in class demand generation agency. In short, what we do is we bring quality traffic to your digital web properties. So your website, be it an app, um, whatever it is you need to do, if it's social, bring it to a landing page in social or your social profiles. We are very, very good at driving traffic. High quality traffic. What I what I've noticed about working with you over the years and alongside you as well as with you with clients is uh, something I think is different than the the typical agency, and that you guys actually do care about delivering and you care about making things right with clients and relationships, as opposed to. But we did the transaction. The transaction happened. So why are we still talking? Which becomes the way <laughs> of a lot of agencies, you know. And, and I'm sure you've seen that over time. I, what about why does BFO that way when it seems like most agencies get into the, they all claim to be people focused, but they end up being metric focused and just grinding the granular data. You've, you've, um, you've tapped on the hardest thing that we face on a day-to-day basis in terms of differentiating ourselves as an agency, because you can, you can talk a good game. You can say, we're going to manage your budgets better than anybody on the planet. And we're going to give you exceptional customer service. It's, it's hard to walk both those lines for one, and it's really hard to differentiate for another. When you walk into a room with, uh, you know, the executives of company who are looking for a new agency and they say, how are you different? Well, I arguably I'm just like 10,000 other agencies that you could talk to today. Right. So it's a really hyper competitive space in that regard. We like to bring our reputation into that and say, you know what, we truly do deliver customer experience. We truly do care about our clients. And We've got a ton of longstanding relationships with clients and relationships that are seven years or more with clients, which is a testament to how much we really care about our clients and how much we care about those relationships. Where does that come from, though, the, the difference in the agency culture and the, the caring? I think it comes from um, Dan having grown up in an agency and understanding sort of how agencies turn and churn. And, and Dan is my partner for folks listening at home. Um, but it's growing up in agency life and seeing the turnover and seeing how junior teams get assigned to accounts. And you bring in the person who's been out of school for six months and they're now leading a seven figure account just because we have a playbook and we taught Jimmy how to, how to run the plays or we taught Susie how to run the plays. We don't believe in that from that regard. It's like you always get experience with BFO. You get people with years of experience, sometimes over a decade of experience managing your account because they've been there and they've seen it. The other side of it is I've been in operations my whole life. And before that I was in customer service. So it's always coming to realize that customer service is nearly as important as the product. And if you can't bring the performance and the service together, then your relationships aren't going to last. If one or the other, I always use the example of a good friend of mine, Nick Cirillo, 
Um, <clears throat> used to own a, several very large pizza places here in Chicago. And now he's doing um, leadership consulting and coaching and training in restaurants. But I always likened BFO to a pizza place. And, and here's my analogy is that, so if you, if the food is amazing and the service stinks, what are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to say, yeah, I might give him a second chance because the food was really, really good. But man, that guy, Adam, who was serving me, was he a tool truth, or, truth. or the restaurant was horrible. Now flip this, right? Service is great. And the food stinks. You're not going back. No. You're like, well, that guy, Adam was the best. He was, he was, he's really nice. He, he asked me a, a bunch job. of questions, got the chatty. Now, both of them are great. What are you going to do? You're going to tell people about it. Yep. If both of them suck, you're going to tell, tell people about, about it. it. Yeah, different story. <laughs> so if you can get both of these things at a high level, you're going to become well-known or better known and, yeah. and your reputation is going to precede you. Yeah, definitely. Well, you started to mention what you're doing before BFO. What what were you doing before the business was formed? Just, um, I was in tech operations. I used to build networks. So I used to build websites. Uh, I used to build out data centers. Um, I used to make, I grew up making computers talk to each other. I built some of the first local area networks at what used to be first Chicago bank. Uh, there's a buddy of mine and I, we still uh, thumb wrestle over building local area networks. Um, but really, we were sort of the second wave because there were there were the old guard there who was building, who were interconnecting buildings before we ever got a chance to build networks. But we were early days, cutting edge client server technology, building out Novell and, and Microsoft networks way back when um, it wasn't just pull it out of a box and plug it in. And you did you own that or were you working for someone else at the time? I was working for the bank at the time, and then I, I, I jumped I jumped onto the dot-com bandwagon in 99. I did that too, way, right. way back. <laughs> way, way back. Um, it was a short-lived startup, and that lasted about a year. I've got, uh, I've got some stock options as wallpaper somewhere. I don't know where they're at these days. Um, that was a company that collected $90 million in venture capital Never once turned a dime and was out of business in two years. Ours was um, the one I worked for was similar, but and I remember the CEO looked like Hulk Hogan. He would come in. Uh -huh. He was he was based out in um, I think San Francisco, and he would and we were here in Boston area. And he would fly in every once in a while and drive up in his Porsche. And he would get out and you'd be in short middle of winter in New England. He's in shorts. He's got like the flowy, um, flowy sixty year old blonde hair. Super, uh -huh. super tan, gigantic, and he's in shorts. I mean, literally, he looked like Hulk Hogan was running the company. It was, it, was, it was just so bizarre to see him come sweep through and then leave. And there was a lot of VC interest in the company and, and a bunch of investments that ha they off they went to ended up that the, a lot of that money went to nice offices and rental Porsches for executives while traveling. And then there was no more company. I once turned down a job with equity going to work for a friend of mine who had gotten a, a bit of venture backing to start something. And he offered me a percentage and a salary. And having been through that once, I, I did the math with him. And he said, well, I'll give you a, I'll give you 5% equity. I said, 5% of top line or 5% of bottom line. Mm. I said, because you're not giving me real equity. I said, you're giving me phantom equity. He said, well, yeah. I said, so is it top line or bottom line? And he told me it was bottom line. And I said, no. And he said, well, why not? 
I said, because I have no control over you leasing another Porsche because he had leased a Porsche. Yeah, funny, right? <laughs> I, have zero, I have zero control over that. What is that? Seven, eight hundred bucks a month sitting out front? <laughs> I said, and I have no control over, over that leading to my 5% of, of a bonus? Right. No. How about no? He's like, well, well what do you mean? What, what can I do differently? Um, well, you can give me real equity or real control or a lot more money because this equity isn't going to be worth anything if you keep leasing Porsches. Right, right, right. It's funny how that happens so much. Well, that was early days of, that was pre-BFO in my days after internet, went to uh, middle America, little middle America, um, did a web startup within an organization that was spun off to How Stuff Works. And it was at that point that I became liberated um, from that role after the acquisition. And I started what I call this wonderful mess. And early days of that was when I ran into this buddy who had been funded. And needless to say, we're not really friends anymore mm. because he ran his company and ran it into the ground despite wanting to hire me. And the salary wasn't bad. And he wanted to give me some equity. And I told him he was crazy. <laughs> and then he started, then he started bouncing checks. Oh no. I said, are you kidding me? Here I am trying to pay my mortgage and not only bouncing checks, giving me bad checks. My friend no. three times gave me bad checks. Willingly giving you bad checks. And, and I'm trying to pay my mortgage while he's paying, he's spending somebody else's money Yeah. and he's bouncing checks that it's funny because I had a friend in banking and he gave me a bad check and I knew it was a bad check because I'd been in banking, but he gave it to me in a social setting where it wasn't appropriate for me to stare at the check. Yeah. It was a very somber event and I just sort of had to put it in my pocket. So he was and calculated and when he gave it to you? Oh, it's horse shit, my friend. And uh, so <laughs> the business lesson in there is uh, get cash when you can. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if, if somebody's going to hand you a check, stare at it. Make sure, make sure the written amount and the and the dollar amount are the same. Was make that- sure the decks it's not post dated. Make sure they sign it. Oh, it's it's a crazy number of things people can do to screw up a check. I know we don't use them a lot anymore, but if you get one, check it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I know much about that. I wouldn't even know what to look for. I would look for it to be signed, I guess. What if so if the written uh, amount is different than the numeric amount, then it, they won't cash it or it's a bogus check? They won't cash it. Yeah, they won't well, it cash makes sense, it. right? If it's, if, if it's post-dated in the future, they won't cash it. So there were, it was a couple times that they, one bounced, then he gave me one bad check, then he gave me another bad check. And bye the bye. last time he gave me a bad check, I had a, I had a, uh, an ace up my sleeve because I had a friend who was a, a manager at a bank and at the bank that the check was drawn on. And I called her and said, Hey, I got this bad check. She said, I can deposit it for you. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so and she, she, she did me a solid and said, Hey, um, we'll just, I'll check once a week and see when his account has enough money in it to cash it. Yeah. <laughs> the inside track on the funds. That's that's lucky though. Oh, very lucky. Very lucky. And then at the end of the deal, he still owed me 1500 bucks. And there was a, a point in time where he messaged me on Facebook and threatened to pay me the 1500 bucks. And I told him to give it to his favorite charity. And I gave him a list of my favorite charities because I never thought I'd see the money. Yeah. And you almost don't want to even reignite those type of relationships. They go away for a reason. And bringing that back in, opening the door to a chronic, you know, liar or a chronic failure, then it's, uh, you know what you're doing. It's your fault if you let them back in. Those are the kind of people you have to get rid of. Uh, Absolutely. I call it, there's there's people in life and in business, there are, um, 
there are weasels and useful weasels. <laughs> That's true. Um, That's true. I, I'd like to think there's more categories than just weasels and useful weasels. Well, 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 no, there, there absolutely are. I'm just saying at the, at the, at the bottom most layer. <laughs> at the weasel are, level. At the weasel level. It's a very low level of people. And, and they might be nice enough people, but you, but you're like, ah, you're a weasel. A useful weasel is somebody that actually writes you good checks and, and pays you for your work where a weasel is somebody that just keep, either keeps talking and trying to drag you into doing work for free, or they really make themselves a weasel when you do the work and, and their checks bounce. Right. You got to look <laughs> at too, when you're judging the weasel, are they a weasel by nature or are they a weasel by their job? Like does their job create the weaselness or are they born a weasel? Cause if they're born a weasel, it's hopeless. They're, they're just always <laughs> running a scam. They're always trying to screw you and you just got to get rid of the weasel. So, so it's like the used car salesman stereotype, right? Yep, 100%. It, it's that guy, yep. Sharky, Sharky, yep. they call him. <laughs> hey, let me put you right in this thing over here. His environment turned him into a weasel. He wasn't born a weasel. Right. He just has, no. to, he has to be a weasel to, to turn the, turn the, I was going to say turn his tricks. Uh, thought that might not be the right thing to say, but anyway, he, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's true about the weasels. There are multiple different types of weasels and you come that's like the the thing that sucks in business is salespeople all get lumped in as weasels as especially like me or you as owners we get approached Mm -hmm. every day by somebody wanting to sell you something and a lot of those people are perfectly good people who have a perfectly good job trying to sell what their job is to sell but uh and you and i both have to step into the sales role as well and, and you know do that for our business but you know as well as i do that 90% 90% of the time, even if you think I should give someone the benefit of the doubt, since I'm in that place a lot, you, you shut down all sales efforts. At least I do. I, I you know, their, their emails aren't, I'm not responding to them. The, I'm not taking the calls. It's just, I'm not in the market. I think you're right. And I don't want to unfairly label everybody weasels. There's, there's, I agree. Re- realistically, there, there, there are very few weasels out there. Most people are, are good and good at what they do and just trying hard at things. I had um, a, a a client of ours say to somebody on our team recently, she said, you know, I really like Steve of anybody who's ever tried to sell me something. He's the only one I didn't want to punch in the face. <laughs> well, that's nice. That, that's, a nice <laughs> that's, a, that's a wonderful compliment. <laughs> I, and I, by the way, just to, just to be clear, I agree. I don't, I think most people in a sales role are good people and they probably have something they can add to your day or to your life. Should you be in the market for their service? But they all immediately, until proven otherwise, get that label. I would say, you know, it's like a prejudice. It's the the, yeah. the salespeople because so many before them, and even if it's a minority, have earned the weasel badge. They all have to fight off the weasel badge, just like us in marketing. You start as a weasel, and you have to earn the non-weasel tag because you're a mm-hmm. marketer. You're obviously a weasel. So let me ask you a question: How do you how do you flip that? How do you how do you become the the non weasel? How do you how do you engage in sales and, and how do you earn the trust of the people that you're selling to? It's a really good ongoing question that I would say I have a lot of different things I try and I don't have any um, answers. I don't have the magic bullet. I try to rather than but we're really niche based too. So I I try to become personal before I try to sell anything. So even on the level of someone I haven't met yet, rather than 
sending them a bunch of emails or time triggered emails where I'm following up on the last thing I said, expecting them not to answer saying, you must be too busy to read my email. Well, let me, you know, and oh. I, I don't do that. <laughs> what I, <laughs> it, it drives me out of my mind. I what, get those texts from you. What are you too good for me now? <laughs> What's my response? Well, that's true, but that's different. Um, <laughs> I, I try to do uh, the best thing I can figure out to date to start a personal relationship and that's I make a video where like you'll see me just like you see me here and I'll talk about their business their website or some story about something they're doing clearly I know who they are I've looked into them I have an idea on how I can help even though I know mm -hmm. my idea might be flawed because I haven't spoken to them yet and I just say as much and I make a video where they can see me and I talk about them and how I think I can help, where I think I'd like to help, and uh, I'd love to have the next conversation. And basically, so I start it with a conversation, even though the conversation is one-sided. And send yeah. it, sending those videos through email, uh, I get a pretty good click rate, and people look at it because I think 90% of it is curiosity. They haven't seen a video embedded in email come through with a, some random guy's face there. And, and their website, you know, I show what I'm talking about them. And that's what I try. But you guys, you guys are bigger than we are. What, what's your... How do you deal with it? How do you cross the weasel line? Well, you there's there's two things in there I want I want to talk to. I want to talk about that weasel line, but I also want to talk about video and and sort of the growth of video. Mm -hmm. Um, let, let's let's go weasel first if we come back to the growth All of right. video because I really want to get your opinion because you do a ton of video and you're seeing the emergence of it. Um, crossing the weasel line is is the same thing. It's it's relationship based selling. It's it's earning earning trust before you ever try and sell something. Yeah. I recently had an opportunity with a, a client and she and I were simply talking and she's, she knew my background and she said that they had hosed their website and they said, we knew it's, we know it's not getting the traffic. It's a job placement company. We know it's not getting the traffic. It should. Yes. We know we compete against the, the monsters and the, the ladders and, uh, everybody else in the world who, who has jobs on their website, right. but we're very niche and, and we, we used to drive traffic and we built this, this site for all of our listings and it's not driving traffic. She said, I got a couple of quotes. One, one company told me that I needed to fix the website and rebuild it before they'd even look at it. And the other company gave me a quote and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I'm having trouble with it. And I simply said, I said, as a courtesy, I I'm happy to spend a little time on the website and let you know what I think. Um, just because she became a friend right. and it was easy, it's easy enough to do and why not lend my expertise? And I told her, I said, listen, I'm, I, I, I'm going to send you this and I'm, I'm not putting a price in it. I'm not trying to sell you anything. Um, I just want to tell you what the deal is with your website. And I told her, I said, well, the guy who told you to rebuild the website immediately before he touched it is crazy. I said, yes, it has some challenges but they can certainly be addressed. Here are a few of the things that we saw. And this is, this is our, our 20,000 foot view. This right. is not our, our five foot detailed site audit. This is just me kicking around in a few tools and asking one of the more technical people on the team for some feedback, center the stuff. And immediately the, the trust door opened a crack. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really trying to push it open. I just knew that if, if I went in and, and did the right thing, that, she would either just lean on me for advice. I said, the worst thing is you're getting free advice. Yeah. And she tells and, someone else about this guy that helped her. I mean, there's nothing, it, 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 it yeah. always pays off. Goodwill pays off. 
And that, that's what Allah is doing, was trying to be a good friend. And what it's led to is a contract for next year. That's great. That's great. It's yeah. a win-win. Yeah, a win-win. So so the same thing for, for getting past the weasel part of it. We've um, brainwashed ourselves with um, Skip Miller's proactive selling here mm-hmm. and the buyers buy backwards. And, and as, a, as a seller, you need to stay in control, but respectful control of the sales process mm-hmm. and understanding where your buyer is and, and using some of the tools. But it's all about the relationship. You're not, you're not trying to... And it's all about them too, because they have a problem to solve. I used to, and I know you've done it too, but somebody used to say, Hey, Steve, um, we've got a problem with our website or we've got a problem with our online advertising. Can you help? Uh, yeah, sure. Quick conversation. They'd say, well, can you, can you send me something and build out this PowerPoint deck yeah. of I always like to say 437 slides, but it's never quite that long, but you build Close. out the deck and it shows everything that we can do and talks about me, 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 me. Right. Um, I used to call it me FO when we did that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and you send them something and you have zero idea if you've even gotten close to the mark, because I never knew what their problem was. I never knew what their goal was. So how am I going to help them meet their goals or solve their problem? If all I'm doing is talking about me and yeah. all of the wonderful, amazing services we offer. It's the ego first thing in our industry where we think we know the right thing where we don't even know what you do. We haven't even spoken to you who run the business. Uh, yeah, it happens. Uh, and that's, I think we've talked about it before, but I'm, I'm the same way and it freaks people out when they're new on the team and we're going to go, going to go pitch and they're used to, or they come from an agency background and we're going to go pitch some, some company and they, they want to get the deck all together and get ready to who's going to pitch what. And I, when I say we're not bringing a deck, we're, we're going to the meeting and we're going to ask questions and everyone else is going to bring a deck and pitch. We might lose the business. We might win the business, but we're not going to win it on being er- so arrogant that we think we know the answer before anyone told us what the problem is. So one of the books that I want to throw in here that speaks about consultative selling yeah. is Patrick Lencioni's Getting Naked. Getting Naked. Getting is that, Naked. Is that like Tommy Lee's and- song, Get Naked? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Lencioni's book talks about um, two different consulting agencies, one that's very highly regarded and one that's big and stuffy. And, and certainly he draws draws those um, contrasts to, to, to make part of the book. But he goes into this consultative selling approach. And when I read the book for the first time after it was recommended to me, I realized that that's who I was. Mm. Um, people like somebody that comes at it honestly. They want to have a conversation. I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm ever looking to sell you something unless you've asked me to sell you something. But even when you ask me to sell you something, I'm still breaking back into my sales process. Yeah. And I'm trying to understand and I'm trying to, and I hate to say checking boxes, but if I don't, if I don't know where I am in that process, I don't believe that I can help you to the best of my abilities and to put a solution in place that's going to address your challenges yeah. as effectively as they could. Um, and, and Skip Miller calls it, you know, um, picking your train. Uh, the person you're talking to generally has a lot more going on than just what they're trying to contract with you for. They, they're overseeing a website, they're overseeing marketing, they're overseeing traditional marketing out of home, digital. They've got some other things going, then they might be overseeing sales and marketing as well. 
I'm, I'm just the engineer. They're the engineer, one of those trains. Yep. I got to be their conductor for that. So here's my little piece of that. But am I identifying the right train in their problem set? They might come to me banging down the door that says, we really need to get into the paid social advertising. We're not there. We need to be there. We look at all their stuff. Now I can run and sell you paid ad, paid social. Great. May or may not work, but I'm doing you a disservice if I don't take the time to ask you a bunch of questions about the rest of your business Definitely. and to identify the best train to, best train to be on. Right, because, I mean, odds are selling them some paid search is going to work to some degree at something regardless, even mm-hmm. if it's the wrong answer. But is it going to work as well as the right answer for that business and that particular challenge and whatever they're, you know. So I, you have to ask the questions. That's why we don't do RFPs. We don't respond to them unless there's a meeting ahead of time where we can really vet out what we want to know before answering it. Uh, but in general, if we get uh, an option to participate in RFP, we just, no thanks, don't, we're not interested. I want to talk, I want to have organic discussions with someone who's got a need that we can legitimately help with or else, mm-hmm. you know, thanks, but no thanks. Here, Here's someone else I think can help you. Here's someone else I think can help you. I, I, I just don't like to chase work for the sake of work anymore. I want to do work that, um, and it's not, it's not that I'm not hungry, but I want to do work that's going to be good work that's going to, help you know build every everybody forward not going to be uh i would feel like it was a scam if i just sold you something just to sell mm-hmm. it to you because you wanted to buy well, something well you, you touched on the rfp process and we struggle with rfps i think we tend to respond to more rfps than we should it's hard to say no because you think you can help solve a problem but companies either use the rfp process because they think they should right or they use it to sterilize the competition. Right. We're we're gonna we're gonna homogenize everything here by giving you thirty-seven very vanilla questions and hope you hope you strike a chord with us. And then if you answer those well, we're gonna take you to the next round, and then we're gonna take you to the final round. It's it's always this this weird thing. And generally, our rule is that if if we're invited by somebody we know and have a lot of respect for, then we will generally participate. Otherwise, we will politely say, you know, thank you. Yeah. But sort of similar to you, you got to evaluate it. Well, what I don't like, what I don't like about it is you can put all that work into answering the questions to the best of your ability. And, and, and RFPs take a lot of time for anyone out there who, whose business doesn't involve RFPs. It's a big document. It's an ask for a particular project in the marketing world where you've got to answer all these detailed questions about how you would handle the project normally, or at least sometimes having never spoken to the potential client about the project. But Mm -hmm. what I don't like is you have to include a price in the RFP. And most people reviewing RFPs, <laughs> yeah. they take the bottom, they take the top, they throw it away. But you, as the as the business pricing the RFP, you don't really know where to be. You're nervous that you're mm-hmm. going to be too high. You're nervous that you're going to be too low. Or you're leaving something on the table. You can't even focus on the getting the right work and creating the right proposal because you're focused so much on, is this bottom line, last page, going to get us thrown up before they even read all the work that I'm doing? Uh, and that's where I just end up negative, not doing it. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play up uh, one more level on that in in terms of the R, RFPs and you're you're doing your responses and you're chasing that game and you don't know the people that you're responding to sometimes you don't get a conversation but I will say for for other folks listening you say I don't know RFPs are okay there is an art and a science to RFPs there are companies that make a handsome living because they respond to RFPs, because they show up well and have a system for responding to and representing themselves in response to RFPs. And 
All they do is respond to RFPs and they make a handsome living at it. You and I, my friend, I just don't think we've cracked the code or we want to. 100%. (laughs) Well, yeah. And there's accountants and there's actors and there's marketers and there's firemen. You know, it takes different types. I'm not saying that RFPs are bad. I'm saying we don't do them for those reasons because uh, some, look, a lot of people, even in similar jobs to ours that are in marketing focused careers, a lot of, some are transactional, some are personal. I mean, it depends on the way the business is run where mine we don't even sell a product. You know, we don't sell search or we don't sell websites or we don't sell video. We sell what we, we sell strategy and what comes out of the strategy. Then we help you to build whatever it might be. So we want to talk first and foremost about what do you even do? Why, why, why are we here? Why are you and I having a conversation? What, you know, what led us here? What's the impetus? And we talk about the whys and the hows, and then we get, then we'll get into, well, what do we want to do? What do we want to implement? And then, if we can build it, you know, if it's web or video or, or, or content or any of that sort of stuff, or if we want to pass it off, if it's SEO or if it's ads or if it's something that we don't really get into and do, then we'll pass it off. But it for for way that we operate, that has to happen first, the conversation. Mm-hmm. That has to happen first. Yeah. And that's actually, if you if you go back, um, I can't recommend Lencioni's book enough there for people that want to do consultative selling and relationship-based selling because just it breaks it down into, into such terms is that your first meeting with a client isn't about selling something. It's about getting to know the client, establishing some rapport with the client and, and learning about their business. I need to be educated on your business before I can ever begin to think that I can I help you make some numbers. And that goes for anything, whether you're selling cookies or marketing or cars, you, you have to understand yeah. who you're selling to and why. Uh, but I want to take you back to the days where you were in between jumping to a startup, an internet startup, and then BFO, what was the process like in going from, so you went from a a bank to a startup, internet startup, and then from there to BFO? Um, Is that the bug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I want to understand more. I want you to kind of take me through how long was it when you had the thought of doing your own thing until it came to be? And like, what was that journey? I don't want to say journey and sound like I'm some. Uh... No, no. Let me go. Let me start answering. Yeah, good. Talk. <laughs> I'll save you from the question. Um, I had I, I've been a closet entrepreneur my whole life. Moonlighting, starting businesses, made a few bucks, lost a few bucks, um, had some great ideas that never went anywhere. Had a financial advisor tell me once, you know, ask me once, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? I said, because I, I, I want to have more control over my future. Um, I want to be able to do things. I want to see my ideas come to life instead of always executing against somebody else's ideas. And he told me, he said, but you've got a perfectly comfortable middle management job and you continue to be promoted and things like that. Why would you give that up? I said, opportunity. And and he said, so you're an entrepreneur? I said, no, I'm not an entrepreneur until I actually do something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was always moonlight stuff. And there were some great ideas. In fact, I've still got a CD, if you will. Uh, it's not even a DVD. It's a CD of um, of a company of mine from years and years ago that in many ways is the motivation for, for building things because it was a great idea. It was a little bit before its time. We goofed up a little bit on how the company was set up and and we missed the window. There's a company in that industry now who was our competition way back when. I don't even know what year it was. But there was a company that we saw as our competition that just sold out to like CBS for $140 million. Wow. 
<laughs> and, and, and we were there competing with them back then. And it's one of those where you, you let yourself get caught up in this, this internal thing of what you should build and who's building what and the struggle of, of, of running a company. And you forget about where the market's going and what it's doing and how to get to the market. Yeah, you're and, stuck inside. And we had, it's, it, it was horrible. Um, and, and that CD is simply a reminder of me, for me, of, of, how, of seeing things through and making it go. So I'd always been a closet entrepreneur and I was always moonlighting, always, always looking for something. Maybe it's just the day jobs weren't satisfied. There were years I went through day jobs looking for a good mentor. I haven't had a good mentor since I hadn't had a good mentor since 99, um, a boss or a superior that, that kind of just somebody to look out for you. Yeah. Somebody to, to tell you, Hey Steve, you might want to go straight and to make it instead of making the left there and, and willing to answer the question appreciatively. Um, so I was searching and searching and searching. I didn't have anybody. And I just said, I'm going to be my own mentor. And that was in my last day job. And then when um, I was liberated, in 2006, it was, it was the question of, I had fallen in love with search and digital marketing by that. I knew it was a passion. I also had a passion for people. Um, I was also very good at technology. And I had a choice to make. And that choice was go get the next job in technology, mm -hmm. be it managing developers, managing data centers, managing technology of some sort, overseeing a website, whatever the case would be, or chasing this, this search thing, which I had just become really, really passionate about. So as stories go, I don't know that I set out to start a company. I think the decision points along, and I always knew I was an entrepreneur, but I don't know that I set out to start a company because I had a four and a six-year-old at home and one of them had special needs, which um, anybody who has a child with special needs, it costs you a lot of money. Um, and, and so there's this, well, it costs you a lot. It's not just money, right? I mean, it costs you a lot oh, of, of mental thank, power. Thank you for emotion. saying that. Oh, uh, it, it's, it, it's a, so true. it's an expensive so true. proposition and it's, that's what, that's why it can be so rewarding or so difficult. Mm -hmm. it, and it, and a lot of that depends on the way you anchor yourself around that. This is an issue that you've got now. Very well said. Thank you for expanding on that. Um, it was, it was also part of my motivation for starting my own thing, which seems crazy because I traded what would have been like a salary up here, but job satisfaction here. Yeah. Back to the pizza example. I flipped it. <laughs> <laughs> I started, I started my own agency with zero agency experience. I went from a lot of money to zero and very little job satisfaction to a ton of job satisfaction. This is the best. And it was awesome. And, and, and then oh, I, I started not making and, and I started networking and just started um, trying to find opportunity and was, I, I kept splitting my horizons. I kept looking for a job at the same time I was, I was trying to find new customers. Mm -hmm. And there was a point that I had, um, I call them conversations on the kitchen floor, where if my wife and I were sitting on the kitchen floor across from each other, you knew we were having a really, really serious conversation and, and that we had, to figure, we had to stay on the kitchen floor effectively until we found our way through it. And a lot of kitchen floor conversations were about my finding a job and giving up on, on business. And then you continue to build that little thing. And like it started out counting, counting clients as mortgage payments. How many mortgage payments is this? Definitely. Um, and then you start thinking about, okay, when can I start paying myself a salary? When can I stop using short-term debt 
to fund my life because my business isn't paying enough. Mm -hmm. And when can I pay that back? And I went through all of those stages and fortunately enough came out the other side. Let's not forget, Uh, am I crazy for wanting to do this? Should I just be getting a job like everybody else and doing the normal thing and having the safe mm -hmm. route? Should should I be doing that? Am I screwing up? Am I sticking to it too long? Uh, You know, they always talk about knowing when to quit. Who's that guy? I don't, do I not know when to quit or do I, should I stick to it? You know, there's, there's so much inner monologue that goes through your head on a daily basis, especially oh, it's crazy. in the beginning or when times get tough, which they inevitably will. Even if you do great for a number of years, you know, you, you end up with a bad year and that bad year brings you right back to that kitchen floor. And you know, what, what am right. I doing? <laughs> And, and it, it never ends, but you get used to the challenges and used to the risks. Definitely. And, one of the best lessons I've had in the last year was don't make decisions for your $6 million company like you would for your $1 million company. And it made me realize and reflect that we, I'm collective, but I'll also say me, very take responsibility, but making very narrow decisions for that company and not for this company. Mm-hmm. So that company in, in many ways was focused on survival and in and, and growth this one's focused on growth and survival. They, they need to, they need to flip. And I had them backwards mm. a little bit. And, and when you operate out of fear, as you know, this, you've already given up some advantage. Definitely. You've already taken yourself out of the game. Yep. Yep. You're, you're acting like you're operating on borrowed time already, which is just a bad place to start from. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and again, being an entrepreneur is all about taking risks. You, you calculate the risks, but if you spend too much time calculating the opportunities passed, Yes. So did you, did you meet Dan in, in between the dot-com job and the getting addicted to SEO and wanting to, wanting to start the agency thing? Or did you start it before you met Dan? I don't actually know that origin story. So the, the way it works out, I met Dan during that bridge day job after my banking life, um, after banking went to dot-com, went to middle America. Uh-huh. I met Dan in middle America. Okay. He came aboard as an intern. At, at that company and his jobs. And, and you should get his story because he had two job offers. One was an intern at this little um, publishing company. And the other was to work at a cigar store and he loves his cigars. So he almost took the cigar store job. <laughs> and, and now I count Dan probably among um, the top 10 minds in, in paid, paid search, mm-hmm. paid marketing, uh, paid media. What am I looking What word am I looking for? Paid media. So across paid search, paid social, programmatic advertising. Dan is absolutely one of the top 10 brains and he's done a ton of work now in voice search. And it's just amazing. I don't know what the cigar industry would look like as a result of Dan being there, but it would be better off. It'd be better (laughs) off for his presence. Um, But anyway, we met there. And then in 06, when it's about three or four months when I was looking for a job or deciding to start a business Mm -hmm. and the search jobs didn't pay a whole lot. Um, they, they presented, presented some opportunity, um, technology jobs paid a lot more, but I didn't want to be in tech anymore. Yeah. So instead of taking a search job for two thirds or half of what I, what I wanted, I took, uh, I built an agency with zero salary instead. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, sounds um, good. But but really, that's that's what you have to do, right? You you've got to you've got to take away the net. You've got to you've got to know that that um, 
that you can go up and you've got to take the risk and, and you've got to be hungry for it. If yeah. you do it and, and you're not hungry, then you're not going to get there, especially if you're bootstrapping. I mean, I, I put everything on the line. I put my house on the line. Um, I put my family on the line Yep. And, and, and I asked for their support. If it wasn't for my wife's support from the start, I wouldn't have done it. Oh, definitely. I, I, I feel the same. And I think that it's important to, to understand that because I would say most businesses are bootstrapped, right? You hear about the angel fundings and the Silicon Valley companies and the Facebook. And my and the unicorns. Movies. Right. The unicorns are called that because that's what they are. And that's not the norm. And the normal business that somebody goes out and starts, they are going, they're doing it with their own savings. They're doing it, uh, forget paycheck to paycheck. They got to make a sale to bring money in to try to cover yep. the, some bills. Uh, and they're, you know, using their own credit cards or their own uh, loans from a bank. And it's all, it's really all on their back. Or in your case, you have a partner. And I'm really curious about how, how that comes to be. Do you guys form the business together as partners? And then that's, that's a dynamic that I'm not entirely familiar with, but I want to get into the partnership between you and Dan, and I want to take that through uh, the way I know that you lead and you always have. And you've, you've ended up making a name and you do some, uh, some speeches around leadership and some uh, writing about leadership. And you, um, in, in my world, it's been a very unique perspective to learn about your marketing and you guys call it unleadership, I think. And you, you, you really have a, a different way and you're, you're way better at, at people than me at, at caring about all the people. So I, I want to talk about, but I want to start from a partnership, starting a business with somebody else and what, like, right. how long does it take from you and you and Dan, the crazy intern? Was he dressed in orange? Probably. It's, it's a long time ago. <laughs> I want to talk about just how does that, how does that come to be you know to 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 do it with a partner it seems like so, a different path so what's crazy is i told you about the cd that's in my drawer and that failed partnership and i thought to myself partnerships are awful why would i ever do that again and and i i went about my way in in the summer of 2006 hung the shingle and said i'm here buy from me um i've never sold a thing in my life um i knew i was good at what i did i had this delusion that if i could simply do 30 hours of work a week. I forget what my, what I considered my rate was. If I could bill for 30 hours a week, that'd be great. But I never wanted to be an independent consultant. I always knew I wanted to work with other people and I wanted to grow. But I thought in those early days, if I could just do 30 hours a week. Well, I didn't know that I had to sell and market network. Um, I had to do accounting right. and, and such. So along the way, those take hours. That they yeah, time you don't have. All the hours. Uh, and so went out and about, started doing my thing, picked up a couple of clients here and there. In fact, um, a job that I turned down in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, sent me my first customer, uh, which I thought was amazing. That's it was great. really, really cool of them. And it, it was a wonderful opportunity for me. And it kickstarted the thing. And I came to realize, so that was 2006-ish. And... I started on my way. I was, I was lone and solo. 2007 is when people started referring business to me. They want to see if you're actually going to do it or if you're just screwing around. Mm -hmm. So your, your friends who have opportunities that they can send your way, as much as they're your friends and they love and respect you, most of them will not send opportunities right away. I had two really cool favors uh, come in, if you will, we'll call them favors, opportunities. Um, one was that company I didn't go to work for. Mm -hmm. They sent me my first customer. And then there was a, a good friend of mine who started a web dev agency 
who knocked on my door and said, hey, uh, you're doing search. We need it. Do you want to do it for our customers? Um, let's figure out a rate and let's let's put you to work. And he gave me a couple of customers. We had a, a wonderful relationship for, for many, many years. We're still friends. They moved in a little bit different direction. They've got some folks in-house now and some other things. So it's still a great relationship, but we don't do work for them. Uh-huh. But um, he gave me he gave me that olive branch. He, he gave me that 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 lift up to help me get started, and and we did some great work together, and, and that started building. And then along the way, what happened is I was SEO and web strategy, so I could tell you how to build a website and what to build, and I could help you optimize your website. I didn't do paid search or paid media, and I kept running into opportunities for paid media. Well, in comes Dan. So Dan's a paid media guru mm-hmm. and he had a day job at the time, but Dan turned out, I, I started farming work to Dan initially. It turns out Dan was the best moonlighter I ever worked with. Um, and I'm sure you've used people who, who you're using part-time or they're working in the evenings. They're hit or miss yep. whether or not they're going to deliver. Other things are more important. They don't need your money. <laughs> All the time. Right. Dan, Dan was the best. Sometimes you can tell when they do. <clears throat> right. Dan, Dan would stay up to three o'clock in the morning to deliver stuff. And we started sharing opportunities because he was moonlighting too, separately. So he'd have an opportunity for some SEO work. Yeah. And we, we started we started mixing opportunities. Um, I hired somebody part-time. My wife was doing my books at the time. Dan was was off doing his thing and we started mixing these things. Then we had an opportunity where we were asked to pitch a very large client um, from a, a relationship that Dan had. And we met at Dan's apartment at 11 o'clock at night. We put a bunch of ideas in. We pulled together slides for a deck, sent the slides over. Presentation was made to the client mm. and they picked a couple of our ideas. And we stared at each other and said, how are we going to service this? What are we gonna <laughs> now <do>? what? <clears throat> and that contract was signed four to six months before BFO was ever a company. Huh. Um, that became the catalyst. We looked at each other and said, well, we've been sharing opportunities, been sharing resources, sharing work. We've never shared any money. <laughs> Maybe we should just put all of this into the same cookie jar. So, so that was that was ten years ago. That was uh, January one of two thousand nine. We threw it all into the cookie jar. We looked at the accounting and said, "Does that number look good? Yeah, it looks good. Okay, let's start a company." <laughs> <laughs> Off to the races. <laughs> Off to the races. And that's how we that's how we got our start. And ten years later, as a partnership, we have our challenges. There's no doubt. Uh, everybody does. Um, it's uh, it's a bit of a marriage. Um, but you you gotta you gotta be open and honest, vulnerable, and be able to work through stuff. Sure, and I would imagine that. So you guys have grown over the ten years from a scrappy little pull together a deck in in your apartment to having staff and an office and and servicing many clients, and and time time passes right, and time is a big thing mm-hmm. because you you change as a person, and so I'd imagine that the partnership is very different than it was ten years ago, where you and Dan have both become. Uh, more mature versions of your former selves and, and have different interests in different people. So I, that's one thing I think that comes up all the time that people don't get when they haven't started a business. I, at least I've met a lot of people that want to be entrepreneurs. 
right? That's mm-hmm. openly stated. And they spend a tremendous amount of time business planning and getting ready and formulating exactly what the business is. And the one thing I know for sure about starting a business is in a year, it's not going to be the same business. Yep. Things, things change and you have to, you have to be more fluid. So, uh, I, I, I know what that ride is like. I just can't imagine what it's like with another person, you know, that you're equally reliant on as yourself through, through all those changes, but they're not going through the same changes. It's, it's interesting when you have to set direction and make decisions for the business, because there are times when you may not see entirely eye to eye, but when you walk out of that room it has to be a cohesive message. Yeah. We have to sing the same song. It has to be well rehearsed. And I actually talked to the leadership team about this and Ari Weinswig, who's somebody I, I, I read a lot of, he's the founder of Zingerman's Deli in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and a whole ton of other businesses that somehow figured out how to print money. Um, anyway, um, it talks about um, you don't need full agreement. You just need consensus. Um, and you don't always have to vote and it's not always a democracy. It's just that, Hey, guess what? If you agree enough, then, then we're going, we're going with this. Um, you just have to be more than halfway in for me to say, okay, you're in, because if you're out, you can, you can bring the rest of us out, but you have to give us good reasons why. And, And that can happen, but you get a time limit to be able to do that. Otherwise we have to, we have to march together because and, and it's crazy how much visioning works or helps in an organization for if, if I, if I don't tell people where we think the bus is headed, are they going to want to get on it? And are they going to want to contribute to, to where the bus is going? Now the bus may, may change direction, as you said, in a year, a little bit, but if you set a target for five years from now with the idea that, that the people are going to be well looked after, that you're going to, you're going to pay attention to your finances and you're going to, you're going to grow a healthy company. You can set a growth target, but I'm tired of setting numbers at the top and bottom line. Yeah. I want to, I want to set client retention numbers and I want to set human numbers for my, my team's engagement and their retention, because I think that's going to build a great business at this point, but it's, it's Dan and I getting in a room and agreeing on those things. And we don't know, like I said, we don't always see eye to eye, but it's about coming out of the room with the same ideas. Well, and I think it's, it's, it's interesting with the bus analogy where there's a lot of business owners that drive the bus and that's it. You want to be on, get on, you want to get off, get off. I drive this bus. And I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not even saying it's wrong because it works for a lot no, of people and it works. For, yeah, for some, yeah. for some businesses it's correct and it's the way to do it. But I know just from knowing you that it's always been important to you that every person on that bus feels like they can say, Hey, take a left. It'll be faster. And that the bus driver is listening and that they're, they're making decisions, um, I mean, the team might not be able to tell you and Dan what to do, but they definitely have a say, and then there'll be a consensus decision around ma- at least major company decisions. I think that's that's what I've gleaned from knowing yeah. you over the well, years. In, 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 in fact, we're we're working on a revised three year vision at the moment, um, and like all good projects, it's a few months behind. <laughs> so we're working on it at the moment, but the process has us looking at a collection of documents that we've prepared over the years, working, working with a coach, a third party on this, looking at those documents, pulling together a list of stuff that's visiony, if you will. Sure. And going through Dan and I are going to go through that list first with the, with the coach, but then we're presenting that to a small team for feedback. Cause as I, I even told the team this at one point said, 
what it's the old idea of what got you here isn't going to get you there. But at the same time, I told folks, I said, I rolled out of bed 10 years ago and said, I'm going to start a business. And this is what that business is going to be. And I could have written it on a napkin or on my, on my hand. And, and it would have been enough for a vision. It motivated me. It got me out of bed. Now, as much as what got me out of bed 10 years ago helps you get out of bed today, this business wouldn't be what it is without all of them. Yeah. So I want the team to help craft that vision for the next three years so that it, it becomes more and more about them. Where should we go? What should we do? Where's this bus going? I know you might not be driving the bus, but you're influencing the direction of the bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, and I've always, I've always admired that about you guys more than, more than any other um, agency that I know of and, you know, have inside relationships within. So I, I know kind of how things work. You guys, you guys are always pursuing new projects, bringing in third parties to help um, construct a better environment, to always make it better for all the people there, not just for top brass or not just for entry level. You're always, you're always trying to change it so that the staff is happy because ha- mm-hmm. I think happy people do good work, right? And they do, happy Agreed. people are more yeah. loyal. I mean, and, and more loyalty means that they don't have one foot out the door half the time, so they're doing half the job. Yeah. Well, on the, on the backside of the land of partnerships is that, um, and we go through this a lot, is I think I've got the answer or the best answer. And uh, hey, look what I got. <laughs> and and me, because because you're, you're working in, a, in an environment where you want to get some group thinking, you want to help people and you, you, you walk in with an idea and I opened myself to it. I said, kick the idea. If it's if the baby's ugly, call the baby ugly. Uh, you got to tell me why. And if even if it's a gut feeling, just tell me why the baby's ugly. So I opened myself up to a lot of ugly baby conversations as a result. Mm -hmm. But I also think that helps the team grow and builds trust. If if you're having that that communication, I can hand down decision after decision after decision. But I've come to if you hang around long enough, and you have uh, at least around the office, you hear me say. The more I come down from the mountaintop with two tablets, the more you fools will just think it's target practice. <laughs> I may have the, I may have all the ideas. I got all the ideas. And if you, Adam, your guy's got a ton of ideas. Yep. We get on the phone and, and we talk about 43 new things that we could start tomorrow. <laughs> yep. If, if only we had the time or the money. That's right. Um, and, and, and I, they're great. And, and a lot of them are great ideas and you can start them. But if they all come from the boss, very few get accepted adopted and implemented and that has a lot to do with you as a person and and maturity uh because and i agree so there's nothing i like more to do with a good idea than to beat it up with some other people because that's the fun part is you know is is beating it until you see the holes in it and filling it in and maybe maybe the idea is a totally new thing by the end of that that uh beat down but i find that fun there's a lot of people out there that are they're possessive of ideas as if the idea is themselves. So if you start to kick holes oh, in man. it or you start to peel it apart and look at it from different angles, they they'll feel slighted or they feel mm-hmm. they're they're too connected to it to an idea, which is not even a thing. It's not even a thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a passing thought. And you have to you have to be mature enough to have your idea. It, this is for like 
starting a business, doing a new product within a business, whatever it yeah. is, you you have to be comfortable enough for your ideas to be ugly babies. You have to be comfortable enough yeah. that, that they're not, that doesn't make you an ugly baby. You're not your no. idea. Your idea is just a thing. And if that thing's going to become something, you have to be comfortable enough to beat it up and have it be bad if it's bad. But as, as you know, anyone listening right now or anyone you have this conversation with, they, they're like, yeah, yeah, of course. But how many people do you come across that are actually willing to have their ideas? Beat <laughs> I, up? I, I, I was doing a, a session internally. I forget exactly what I was, um, when I was teaching internally, because there's the crazy thing as a, as a leader of an organization, you're, you're looked at as the grand poobah and you can share wisdom and nuggets or, or one-on-one, but how do you, how do you give your experience back to your team? How do you make your, how do you help your team become better leaders and managers? It's really, really tough to do without third-party influence. So anyway, to your point about, about getting your ideas beat up, I walked in the room and, and it was, it was a, maybe it was a communication meeting. And I, I said, hey, show of hands. I said, who, who appreciates getting feedback? And, and all these hands shot up. Mm-hmm. Who appreciates getting constructive feedback? And I said, put those hands down. You're all full of shit. <laughs> so we hate it. We hate it. As soon as somebody says, hey, Steve, can I tell you about that project? You, 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 you get crinkly yep, and, yep. and you get a little bit defensive and, and, and I do it. Um, we all do it. Everyone does it by a, nature. You have to learn to not do it. You have to, you have to set your intention before you ask the question yeah. to know that I'm not going to get crinkly about, about this project. When you start talking about it, we all do it. When you give me feedback to tell me that, Oh, the, 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 the presentation that I put together had no theme or flow. And by the way, you hated the font I chose. Great. It, it comes down to how you message that and how you communicate that. But right. it's the same thing. You tell me my baby's ugly. This was the best thing in the world. I, I, we were going to change the world. Right. And, and, yeah, it's crazy. 20 years ago, when I would put my idea out, I would fight you about how my idea is right. And if you had your ideas or you were going to pick it apart, I'm going to spend all my energy defending why my idea is good and should stay. Whereas I don't approach it like that at all anymore. Now, now I approach it as here it is. I'll help you beat it up. Oh, you know, show me some flaws, kick it a couple times. And then, and, but, but I, to me, I, I enjoy it as a mental exercise now where I yeah. used to enter it as I'm defending my, my little sister or something, you know, which was stupid, just, but, but you're stupid when you're young. I had the good fortune. I have the good fortune of having many friends who are in and about the improv scene here in Chicago. And among those friends is a fellow by the name of Bob Coolhan. Bob lives in New York and, and is an adjunct at a couple of universities. He has a, a small a business. Uh, business improv is the name of his business. And he invited me to a beta program. It was uh, last month and we went through a series of of Zooms just like this, where there were, he had a dozen people on and he went through his presentation set and there were exercises. And we did a lot of talking to ourselves just because of the technology. You can't have 12 people talking at the same time, but he would set us up to have conversations in the yes and framework and to be able to do stuff. So improv is all about yes. And if you yes, but, a conversation. If you were to tell me your new idea and I say, yes, but I'm immediately taking that thing down. Yeah. If I, yes. And I have the opportunity to build on it and come up with something better still. And I studied a little bit of improv. Um, and what I learned when I was on stage is, is when you do the yes, but piece, you end up devolving into a cat fight 
And it turns into this weird little dialogue on stage. And it happened every time you saw it and every time I participated. But when you start learning the yes and technique, mm-hmm. you have to stop and you have to think. And improv also teaches you to let to to let time pass and let the first thought go before you open your mouth. And if you're really good at it, you can let the second thought go because the third thought's going to be your best. Right. Because your that's brain terrifying. is so much faster. That's right. terrifying for people because if they don't get the first idea out, you don't know it and they need you to know it and they probably won't have another idea and they're going to forget this one and they can't come back and it's, it's uh, oh my God. And, and and yeah, the learning to just be quiet for a minute is hard. And, and to yes and and build stuff. You can always tear stuff down. Um, I often say it's easier it's easier to criticize than it is than it is to create. So cut the creators sure. some slack. For sure. And let's talk about what you appreciate. There's also studies that show it takes eight acts of appreciation to erase a single criticism. Yeah. And, and you can see numbers all over the place, but but I sort of stick to the number eight. So if I tell you your baby's ugly, I, I better have some backup. I better have, by the way, I think your eyes look really nice today. You know, <laughs> it's like that kind of thing. Your, baby you does, work your ugly whole, baby whole did not get your gorgeous eyes. It's, <laughs> Uh, you'd still get slapped. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to know uh, also in back to the business on how owning a business versus working for somebody else, you know, what does that meant in your life outside of the office, you know, with your family and your friends and has it, is it nothing? Is it a job's a job? Or has it affected your life in the way that either it takes away or you've orchestrated it as such to make it, you know, enable or embolden the way that you want to live your life? What is, has it, have you Hmm. constructed it to reflect things you want in and out of the office or has it governed, you know, what it's become? Both are true. Um, Sometimes the business dictates and, and sometimes I get to dictate. I think one of the the greatest features, if you will, of having run the business for the last 10 years is I I think I missed two little league games and I was able to coach little league. And because you get that, that latitude and you can, you can make that decision. It doesn't mean you won't be working at two o'clock in the morning. It doesn't mean you don't have to travel to Florida to meet a guy named Adam with a weird mustache. Um, these things happen. They're sort of the, the natural order of things. That was a really good uh, mustache, by the way. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought you I met you the first time. Like, oh, that was before, uh, before Movember was famous too. So there was no like, oh, this guy's growing a, Mo- a Movember mustache. It was just like, what the hell is this guy doing with a mustache on his face? <laughs> That's exactly what it was. It was about two days before we, I think we realized it was uh, that I found out it was a November mustache. Like, oh, that means so much oh, more so sense. Dude doesn't actually take himself seriously with a mustache on his face. What is this hyper intelligent guy with a ton of personality doing with this goofy ass mustache? Stupid is he porn <laughs> cop stash on his face? You <laughs> just needed the big sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, there are, there are times when the business absolutely dictates what you're doing. I, I want. Uh, I think I'm, I'm reaching a point though. As, as the kids grow up a little bit and, and reaching a new chapter and, and thinking about the next vision for the company and that I, I want to steer the company in that direction for the next three to five years. Mm. And I want to grow. I really, I really love this leadership team that we have in place and I want to help each of those individuals grow into that end. 
I'm, I'm using third party training um, and, and mentoring for everybody. Mm-hmm. I've asked everybody on the leadership team to try and find a coach, somebody who's not Steve that you trust, who can give you ideas for how to run your part of this business. Um, because sometimes you just don't want to listen to me because I sound like dad and, and I want people to grow. And I'm, I want to send people into a uh, leadership training. It's a, I'll call it a boot camp, but it's not. It, it lasts a year. Um, and it's a group that I, I, that I adore, that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, leadership cohorts that start once a year. And there's a lot of industry experts and there's a formal curriculum for culture and leadership. Um, I call it brainwashing, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's also the same way I like to run the business. And, and if, if you're going to, if your business is going to be in your likeness, then you have to be able to help people understand what that means. Yeah. And the, the way we learn business in school is flawed. Oh, big time. Um, yeah. Well, school's flawed. School's very, very, very flawed. Thank in, you. And you're nine times out of 10, uh, you're learning from people who don't know how to do anyway. They're usually academics who are teaching you the academic side, which is only part of the information you need to mm-hmm. do anything. And I'm not by any way, um, insulting the academics, we need them, and they they do a great thing. Oh, absolutely! But, but it's only one part of the picture, and and you know you, that's the second time you've brought up mentoring and training, and I think you know I I never had a good mentor when I was young, and I think that that's ninety nine percent my fault because I was the brash young entrepreneur. I mean, I got into this before I was even like twenty one years old in my first company. Yeah. And uh, just thinking I knew I was the shit, right? And I knew everything. And, and I used to have that, like I said, my ideas were great. You can't, there's nothing you balls can add steel, to. Balls of steel, baby. Yeah, yeah shit. Balls that clank. <laughs> and, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I, Look at I, me. I, I am truck nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I never had a mentor. I never had, I mean, outside of my dad, he's always been a mentor to me because yeah. he's, he's just always it's, been. It's funny. Invariant. I've never met your dad, but he's immediately who I thought of when you said the word mentor. Yeah, and he always has been. He's, but he's always been a, a great deal smarter than me without trying to be, and it's just outwardly apparent how much smarter he is, so you can't argue that. You just can't fight it. But I, <laughs> I, I never had a mentor again until I was, you know, arguably an adult, even if you could call me one of those today. But I got my really first and only ever mentor. Now I would love to find a new one, but my first and ever mentor when I was in my 30s, and he was great. He's unfortunately passed away uh, a little over a year ago. But he was he was awesome. And he, I came across him, you know, basically by accident. And he just loved helping entrepreneurs and helping people because uh, he wasn't nice. He wasn't a comfy, cozy, everything's going to be all right. He was a uh, kick the shit out of your ideas and this is going to be a sport and I'm going to watch you sweat. And he, he was awesome. He, he, he was awesome. Um, and, and he did a great deal uh, in helping me. It was like... Uh, like other things, you know, I, I practice meditation now and I didn't when I was young, uh, jujitsu, a lot of things that make you really know you suck and you're not I've good. Heard at it. It. I've heard of jujitsu. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and jujitsu lets you know immediately <laughs> that you suck and it's going to do that Indeed. forever. When you're a black belt, you still suck when that other guy strangles you, you know, you, you, yeah. you suck every day. Meditation. I try, I do it every day and I realize every day I suck at it, you know, cause my thoughts are yep. elsewhere and I'm chasing them down, but that's good. That's part of the process. It's and part of the process. Realizing all the time that I suck started with at least one, one of the things, one of the places. <laughs> it doesn't bring you down. <laughs> well, it doesn't though. It doesn't bring me down. But, Wait a minute. I just came to realize I'm an ugly baby. <laughs> well, I, I am no. an ugly baby. Fact, fact, but I'm just trying to find some decent, cute clothes. So people will love me. <laughs> 
the my mentor is whose name is William Lawler. He was a professor at at a school I went to, and he was just awesome. And he he through the way he taught it, it let you know that you can get beat up and you can be wrong without it taking away from your value, you know. And it sounds late in life to have those realizations, but I'm just glad that I did no, at, at any point. You I, know, I, I'm doing the same thing now, and I'm always looking for people that I can grow from or with. And I actually count you among those people. We, I think we, 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 we get together, we talk, we share ideas. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say either of us calls each other a mentor, but in many ways we are because yeah. we can, we can get together in kibitz. Yeah. You, you talked to me about uh, like relationships and stuff and starting a business and being an owner, being a business owner, small business is, is a lonely proposition. It is many, many times you go out with your friends and the problems are different. You're seeing an entire business. Um, and I'm not knocking them because every I've got a lot of friends who've got a lot of really great jobs and some make plenty more money than me working definitely. for somebody else. Yeah, definitely. And that's fine. Um, and and it, if it works for them, great. Absolutely. Um, I find it hard to talk about jobs because um, the, the things that trouble me are, I'm going to make payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, do I need to do I need to extend the credit line? Yep. Are we giving a bonus? Are we doing these things? And you can't have those conversations with all of your friends. No. I still want them all to be my friends, right. but we've had to change the dialogue over the years. Um, similar thing happened actually when my son was, was diagnosed when he was two, three years old is the dialogue changes among your friends. You actually exchange some friends yeah. because there's people that don't want to be close to, or it's not that they don't want to be close to, they don't know how to be close to a disability. And, and, and that, and that has to change. It's a different conversation, right. but you, you, you shift and you change. And actually I, I say a lot that the, the most important lessons in leadership that I learned come from dealing with children with disabilities, because you have to change the way you operate because if you don't, you're gonna, it's, it's going to be ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And if, <laughs> and if you don't, you're part of the problem. You're causing damage. You're, you're doing what God, you're, se- you're selfish and your ego gets in the way. Yeah. 88 um, in, in our space, which is autism, 80% of couples get divorced. I want to say it's within five years of a diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. I made a pinky swear with my wife and, and a bunch of other friends that fuck it. We're going to fight through it all. Yeah. You can't get rid of me. And actually, when my wife and I were sitting on the kitchen floor, she'd look at me and laugh because we didn't have any money. Yeah. There was bar- barely any coming in. She goes, why the, why the hell would I leave you now? There's nothing to take. <laughs> I'm going to wait till you got something. <laughs> That's right. She said, well, actually, it's, it's funny you say that because last night we were, we were BSing. Um, and she, she just she looked at me. She said, what? You mean I could have half of this? <laughs> I said, enjoy it, baby. You can have most of it. That's fine. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Take it all with you. <laughs> That's crazy. It is. And I think the, the kids with special needs, uh, people with special needs, doesn't not just kids, but kids are the, um, at least I think most of us have a desire to at least be helpful to kids more than we do adults, whether that's good or bad. But anyway, my, I know you know my nephew's autistic as well, so I, I know firsthand mm-hmm. what how it can affect families and what it's like. And I also know the amazing differences in progress that awareness and education and, and knowing what you're oh, up against yeah. can bring and not just for the family, but for the, for the kid themselves, you know, watching my nephew's journey, even just like the last two years as the, as the diagnosis comes to life and then you apply, um, 
you apply the energy and fixes and research and learning what to do. Uh, fixes is wrong word. That's not what I meant by uh, the word. I meant like you know programs and education yeah. and how and how you how, how you treat him versus the person next to him because he's got a different brain mm-hmm. and a different reaction. Oh, and he, amazing. He is a different kid than he was two years ago, and it's magnificent. Right. You, I just want to like dance for joy every time I see him because he's so he's so a different version of himself and he's a more emboldened empowered like functional version of himself and he clearly he can see it too Mm -hmm. because they're Mm -hmm. very smart right and he can see it and he can be aware of it and he can enjoy that and that's it's that's just nice to watch it's amazing to watch my my dream was when he was diagnosed that one day i would see him off to college and to see the kid now looking at schools (laughs) it's heartwarming I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine how heartwarming that is. He, he wants to go to school. A kid that used to not, not, he was always verbal, but he wouldn't talk to you. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't pay attention to you. You weren't there. He was talking. I don't know about what, but he was talking. And from a kid who used to flap and spin, as they say in the space, and line up his toys, and uh, to a kid who who's looking at schools and, and is making a conscious decision about what college he wants to go to. It's just, it, it's, it's weird. I want it to be rewarding. Um, but it's it's just parenting, right? At some right. level. But there's no and, reason parenting can't be rewarding. I mean, that's the whole point. Of it. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. That's that's a fine criticism. <laughs> My parenting is the, the the most important job I have. You know, this this stuff, right. this stuff's right. not. Well, and you're right. And you're right. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go back on that. It should it, it should be rewarding. Um, it it is parenting. Um, but there's those proud parent moments that say, you know what? Um, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. Um. And give yourself a little hug once in a while to say, I, I did okay as a parent. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to take credit for having a good year at BFO or you do a good job by a client and you're going to celebrate that and you can't celebrate your kid doing well, I mean, that's, you know, that's that, I think that's the wrong attitude. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. if you're an active parent, then you're working on that kid. That kid's a project. Yeah. It's never going to end. True. It's true. It's very, very true. And I, I love when my kids surprise me where they're just like, they, they just do stuff that, some point, sometimes as a parent, you can think of them as little puppets and they just do what you say, but they're not, you know, they're little individuals. And when you see that come out undeniably, it's just amazing to, uh, oh, wow. as they, right. As they continue to grow too, yeah. and you get to see those little, those little pieces of their personality start yep. shaping up. Uh, it's, it's incredible. And when you it's see them, wonderful. when you see them, at least for me, when you see them doing or, or becoming strong in areas that you know you were weak or things that made you feel uh, nervous when you were a kid so you didn't explore and you've got like a, your, your kid being bold in those areas. I, I love seeing that because it's so, you know, I, I just look at so many doors that they're going to have open to them that I didn't just, yeah. just out of a, e- either not having the anxiety or fear over a certain type of thing or either that or them having the mm-hmm. balls to, to, to overcome it where I didn't, sure. you know, it's just, I, I love, I love seeing that. That growth mindset, the growth mindset and the kids seeing them, seeing them learn and figure things out and then take, take some of those chances themselves. And I, I think a lot of that is not a lot, not that we get credit for it, but I think we enable it in parents you know, with parenting that you can raise a kid that's afraid to do anything. And you can raise a kid that's going to be ready to take on the world. And there's, to a degree, it's going to come down to who they are as a person, whether they're fearful or they're or they're risk takers or what they are. But you certainly have a, an influence on it as a parent, whether or not they're going to whether or not they're going to be that way. So I think that that's where I find the reward in it is maybe 
something they used to stumble with and you, you coach them around it, you know, and a year later you've got them thriving mm -hmm. in something. It's just, I, I really like to have those moments. It's, you know what, take that back to, to business. And, and those are the most rewarding moments in business too, is when you see somebody else, um, whether you've tutored them and mentored them or not, but you, you see the elevator is, is gone, going up another floor because they've gained the knowledge and experience yeah. to, to make those decisions. And you've given them the room. Um, a good friend of mine who you met, Anise Cavanaugh, said, um, give somebody a very, very large container to operate in. You know what you, know what, what you expect of them, but give them a container that's larger than your expectations and, and watch them grow into it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I, I, I think it goes to back to what you were just saying about um, having people where I think as a business owner, you got to be pretty comfortable in your vulnerabilities and talking like you, you were saying, you and I, we talk all the time and go over ideas. And I agree. And it's very helpful for me where I guess I was just not, it was a linguistic thing with mentor. I view uh, Professor Lawler as a mentor because he didn't get anything from me. He was a, a you know an, an older guy who had a lot of answers and really just knew the right questions even if he didn't have answers and he would give the time he was always giving because he he didn't have a business he he was on, he was ready for retirement he they, he his as he said it his landing gear was out he you know he there's nothing nothing he was chasing I was always chasing um so that's no less valuable than my relationships with you but we're both chasing, we're both active. Yeah. That, that's where it's yeah, different, yeah. where I can help you, you can help me, we can evolve things together. That's, I guess that's where I just, to me, it's not mentor, it's more of like a partner. It's more of a, yeah. it's, a yeah. it's an it, ongoing it's thing. It's a really, really cool analogy for that, that his landing gear was out. Yeah, um, I thought so too, I've never forgot right. it. I've got, a, I've got a mentor like that, Tom Walter, and he's a guy that I can, he, he's the reason, part of the reason I always wanted to, 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 run the business a certain way um, with a certain amount of, of, of credit and respect and, and trust in the employees versus the command and control style. And Tom was the person who set me on that path. And it's still a guy that if I've got questions or problems, I can still, I can still reach out, but he's a guy now with his landing gears out. Uh, you're absolutely right. Just to think of thinking about that. And, and then you do, I, I thrive on relationships like ours and, and that those that I have with a few other people who are both still in the race. Um, we're still, we're still at it. We're still, we're still pushing, uh, because you can share ideas and you're like, Oh wait, you handled that. What way? It's not like, it's not the wise old sage, but there are plenty of sage comments that, that you make. They go, huh, huh, I might have to use that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and just watching some of those people who are 20 years ahead and have made good decisions and have gotten to a good place. There's one, actually a guy I'm having on the podcast. He's, uh, he's an old client of mine and through being the client, he was always mentor-ish. He's a really bright guy, really uh, focused guy, and I liked his style. He, he owned a company um, called the Wellness Corporation, and they were like an ERP. They sold in, you know, um, helping the employees of companies through HR and that stuff, and he, he was a nurse before he founded that, but he also mm -hmm. has a charity that's still going. So he sold the wellness company off uh, a, a few years ago, and he's also got a charity out in Guatemala that he still runs where they built a hospital for midwives and um, – he, I mean, he got malaria while he's out there. He's out there every year helping and, and wow. nursing. And like, he, he's the real deal. Not just like he, he raises a bunch of funds. Then he goes out there wow. and he's swinging hammers and building hospitals. And, the, and this is a place, a part of the world where there's still death squads. And, you know, you're not safe in Guatemala. Wow. There's, there's, there's yeah. things yeah. coming through. And just because you're American doesn't mean that, you know, I have my rights. Well, 
Not today you don't, buddy. And so mm-hmm. he, I guess what I'm getting at is he, he's a ballsy guy who's always seems to know where he's heading. And so I love picking his brain. And he's retired now. Yeah. And his landing gear's out, except for he still does the charity. So I'm really, really excited to have him on the podcast and talk to him about yeah. main, what he's doing now with all that focus. Because I know the focus doesn't go somewhere. You know, you're still going to have it. So it's just not on the company. Where is it now? And I can't wait to find the answer. Nice. I like it a lot. Me too. Um, what last thing I wanted to kind of ask you that I like to talk about is when you're dreaming of owning a business and you're, you know, you got your grand plans and you're forming the company. Um, what, what over the 10 years has hit you off guard? Like what's the Holy shit. I didn't see that coming. What's the, the lesson that you would get that you didn't, that, that's not the sexy lesson or the one that everybody knows ahead of time. It's, um, I mean, in some ways it's all of it. Um, you go back to um, we, our talk of, of, of having balls of steel when you're younger um, and thinking you know it all. I think the thing that's caught me off guard probably the most is I think about Steve 15, 20 years ago is um, that what often what you think is going to work and succeed isn't. And as long as you're willing to adapt and change, you can still succeed. And I think that one of the key lessons in business, there's two things that um, I, I sort of, that rolled through my head. And I can also share a couple of Steve-isms along the way too, but two things that rolled through my head is some advice a great friend of mine gave me once. She said, what's the worst thing that happens? You get a fucking job? Um, so, so there's that piece. And, and the other one is that if we don't change, we die. And, and you see businesses all the time that refuse to change mm-hmm. or, or let the upstart get ahead of them and, and relied on on their book of business and, and the recurring revenues and slowly and slowly shrank. And then and then they tried to change too late or they tried to think that it really wasn't a competitive competitive place. So those are those are more the ahas is that you want to you grow and you get process and you get change and you get these things. Um, but you, you have to keep evolving. If, if you hunker down and you, you keep doing the same thing, the market and the world are going to pass you by. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be open to the change, and it's scary. You know, it's scary, yeah. to, it, it, and it takes a long time to learn to embrace it. You know, like the way I look at it is any anything we're doing good now or any success we've had is despite me because, the yeah. the you know, the balls that clank years, I did a lot of shit wrong, just wrong, but I did it with just such force <laughs> that I kicked open yeah. doors that... that, well, and- that and, and to answer your question, then more specifically, after hear, hearing that, is that when you say what was the aha? The aha was that my genius plan wasn't what got us here. It was the grit and the hard work. And and it, it there are no. I, I like to say there are no bad ideas, but failed execution or poor execution. Yeah. And and yes, there are some bad ideas. Don't get me wrong. But it, it it's more more that if you're gonna if you're gonna if you've got the willpower and you've got the desire and you can push forward and, and the, the and people have, have made money in crazy, crazy ways and then found success and found their own personal harmony, even without money in, in crazy, crazy ways. And to look at the way some of these people have, have found a way to, to, to live their lives the way they want. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of the things they do, it's, it's it's unfathomable yep. how some of these people find their happiness. Yep. And, and I guess it's, it's that idea is that Steve 20 years ago, when he was just sitting in his attic dreaming about all these businesses, wasn't as crazy as he thought he was. 
Yeah. Yeah, he just didn't know yet what was going to happen. Yeah. It's um it it is. It's a fun, interesting ride. It's not for everybody. And, no, it's not. And <laughs> and everyone's is different, right? Like I I take a lot of time away from the business. In other words, I orchestrate it so that similar to you, I I don't miss hockey games. I don't miss uh, jujitsu with my kids or snowboarding or like any of the stuff they're into. I'm there doing it with them and we're into it together. And I want to do that until they don't want me there. Right. Cause I, yep. that's, yeah. that's part of how I want to be as a dad. And it's selfish too. Awesome. I, I want to be there cause I want every minute <laughs> I can have with them until they don't want me around, you know? Um, and, and my business enables me to do that a lot more than people that have a nine to five that, and, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of people a nine to five nowadays is a seven to seven. Uh, and that's just reality, you know, take commuting and, and the demands mm-hmm. of a job in that's what it gives me. And there's one, you had mentioned a quote that, that is close to you. And one that's close to me that I always, always think about is that no amount of money ever bought a moment in time. And, you know, I have friends that make, like you said, I have friends that make a good deal more money than me, but they're, and it's, they might be happy. I'm not even judging it They're but they're not around as much. And that might be good for them in their situation. But for the way I want it, I would gladly opt for the, the, the less money to have the more time and the flexibility. It's just what is how I like to be paid. I like to be paid in time. I met a, a local entrepreneur. He's very, very successful. In fact, he's um, he's written about in Bo Burlingham's book, Small Giants, um, and got to spend some time with him recently. And and he talked about his his evolution as uh, a, a human and an entrepreneur. And it the way it worked out, he said, when I was thirty years old, I wanted to take over the world. When I was forty, I thought I'd own it. And when I realized I didn't own it. I had to reflect and, and ask myself when enough was enough. And I decided I wanted to spend time with my family. I wanted to take care of my employees. I wanted to have a legacy that wasn't about how much money I had. He goes, listen, now I've got plenty of money. He goes, I've got enough money for me. Um, my, the, the business is great. I've got wonderful employees. I've got a wonderful family. He said, I, I had to make the conscious decision at some point in time. He said, I think he was like a 30 under 30 or 40 under 40 in one of these magazines. And, yeah. and he says, and, and I thought I was going to take over the world. And then he goes, another 10 years passed and I hadn't quite taken it over. I was still making good money. And I had to ask myself what I wanted to be. Did I want to be in that lane or did I want to be in this lane? And I, I, I created I created this lane for myself. Yeah, It was a really cool story. And you don't always have to stay in the same lane. You might want a different lane 10 years after. Yeah. Like we're saying, you know, you're not the same, you're not the same person 10 years later. So whatever lane is right now might not be the lane you see yourself in or that you're going to look back and, and mm-hmm. know that you would have been in later. I think it all goes back to trying to make it work for the way you want to live and the way you want to live, you might love work. You might be a workaholic and that might be fine. You you know, you might only be happy with an 80 hour work week and grinding. Awesome. More power to you than, and, you know, involve that in the way mm-hmm. that you do things. It's, it's not that there's one right way. It's that there isn't one right way. There's people right. that have made it. There's people that are billionaires from uh, making social media networks and trash. You know, it, you, yeah. you can make the way, right. just figure out what's going to work for you and how, if you can, if you can be happy while you do it, Meaning fulfilled, not meaning rich, not meaning have it easy, meaning fulfilled. You get meaning out of your work, you get meaning out of your day, and it provides you, you know, meaning in your life. And I think that that's a 
place to to build from. Agreed. Agreed. Very well said. And on that note, we're like an hour and a half in, so I want to try to respect your time. <laughs> I, heard, I hear your phone starting to go off. There's probably people at the door. And the time and the time of your listeners who's going to listen to a ninety minute podcast. You'd be surprised. People people like to listen. It's uh, I mean, I That's do. I, I listen to long podcasts too. I I like, um, I like it because you get to actually have a conversation. You know, if this was fifteen minutes long, we would have hit bullet points on your business, and we wouldn't hit we wouldn't hit any of the interesting stuff that makes you a person. And, uh, there would have been. I mean, the the. the, the the uh, proportion of snarky remarks in that 15 minutes would have gone way high too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there would have been buzzwords. It would have been filler because you, you, when you're trying to race for a clock, then you end up without reality. You end up with uh, default modes like you do in a meeting or like you do in a pitch and you don't, you're not getting that real person. But when you sit here for an hour and a half and the half an hour we spent before we started recording, you know, you end up <laughs> having a conversation and that's what, I think people lack that in, in their life today is having conversations. I mean, aside from doing this podcast, I don't often have a one or two hour long conversation without phones and mm-hmm. emails and interruptions and people. And, you know, it's, it's really, I really enjoy it just from a creative yep. outlet because I get to have long human conversations with interesting people. And I don't have, it's not normal in life anymore. Did you uh, did you play words with friends when it became really popular? No, no, I never got into okay. any games. My kids hate okay. me for it. Good. Um, well, so words with friends became really popular in Facebook game, and I started playing words with friends with several people. And you you end up having I mean, some people have dozens of games going at any one time with with their friends and with people all over the world. And I I asked myself, I said, Do I want to live on this device? I said, No, I want to live in the real world. And I, I made a statement at one point. I said, why are, we, why are we playing words with friends when we can be having beers with friends? Yeah, yeah. Valid. And, and we don't do it enough. We don't do it enough. Yep. Get, I, out, get out and see people. I couldn't agree more. And I, I, you know, I could pretend like I am good and responsible, but I'm not. You know, I, and I try to be. I even have an alarm in my phone every day that says, put your phone away at five. Because that's when I play with my kids until they go to bed. Um but it doesn't happen every day because if I need the phone, if I'm expecting something to come in, then the phone stays in my pocket, you know, and I'm a victim to it. Um, And I hate that part, but it's also a reality and it's a balance of knowing like the way life is now involves these devices, but trying to learn how to have some kind of boundary between you and it. So it's not governing when you look at it. You are. And I'm not saying I'm in full control of that because sometimes I find myself just (laughs) lost, you know, scrolling and and killing time. And and why the some days, some days you're the baby, some days you're the diaper. So true. It's so true. And, you know, you you, I've caught myself, you know, you wake up 20 minutes later on the phone. You're like, what did I just do with that time? That that was that was so stupid. I can't take it back. And uh, Mm -hmm. but but I'll do it again next week. You know, it's going to happen again. It's just a matter of trying to manage it. When movie theaters were popular, the amount of time we wasted with our friends going to awful movies. <laughs> yeah. Although they're memories. That's but, the thing is that that time spent makes memories. Even if the movie was horrible, I won't get that time back. Right. You've stolen two hours of my life. And even if it was a passive experience where you're both watching a movie, you and your friends are there together. You were in the lobby. You were getting your popcorn. You bought your tickets. You met out front, you know, in the cold or the hot. Yeah. There's yeah. an experience that went around that went with it, that came along with it. When you're just, we talking- can do that here. Just <laughs> do me a favor. Let's, let's connect and let's, let's do this for, for another three hours. Yeah. Yeah, and then let's go. Let's go onto Twitter and fight some trolls and get all pissed let's off. Let's, and 
hide hide behind the keyboard and, and make snarky comments. I, I started reading. I won't go into it. We've got to get off of this thing. Right, but I'm, right. I, I'll say it. I'll say it quickly. Um, it drives me crazy reading reading Reddit. Um, I want to yeah. I want to get some information, and I, I'm I'm attracted to some of the information in the news. But the way people hide behind their keyboards and simply troll people and and they light light bombs and throw them over. Yep. Um, just calling. It's just it's just horrible. It is. It's a horrible show of humanity. It is. And and if you start to look into it and like check out the the people that are throwing those bombs and you look closer at them, you see that they're spending like their day doing it like this is what this is what fuels them right. like, imagine the the misery locked inside their head where their whole day is fuck this guy i'm gonna ruin what he's doing those are the people that that don't just sneak ahead of you when crossing the street they elbow you yeah. or something yeah. I, don't, I don't know but actually no it's it's crazy i don't i don't know that they do that i think they hide behind your keyboards and i don't think they're, they're i mean they're probably a little bit of a hermit um socially anyway but out, out in, in public, I, they're probably not anything like that. I no, don't know, of course they're not. not. Nobody, because nobody's know. like that. I mean, how many people have you met there face to is. face that's yeah. like that? Nobody. You, you, Nobody. They're, they're once in a while. Once in a while, you meet that one person. Oh, yeah. man. That usually, person should stay online. And they're usually <laughs> drunk. But, but sometimes you get that sober asshole. I mean, they're out there. But uh, uh, most people I meet are nice people. Like, just, like, yeah. just like I almost never meet someone who's on the left or on the right, you know, the people that the only voices you can hear online, I don't meet them. I don't know those people, you know, no. the, the Trump or die or the Trump must die. There's two camps. Uh, and I don't know. Yeah. I don't know those people. I don't I know I, a couple. You know, well, I, I, there's I, always I, a few, but well, they're, no, you, they're like you, fun you know, to invite you know, to parties. Few of them, if you remember that, they, they wear it. It's a badge. It's a badge of honor on either side. But but you're right. Most people you meet virtue signaling. Those, I'm they're not the, they're I'm not the trolls. No, they're not the trolls you meet on online. They would never say those things in person. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's weird. I, I, it, it pains me to read some of that stuff. Um, and I, I hope that people just ignore it, but it's, it's, it's just crazy. It's yeah. Just, and some people get I, caught I, up in it and then they get all like worked up and emotional and it ruins their day. And Jesus just, and then they try to ruin my day. <laughs> right. And then they're ruining my day and that's unacceptable. I can't have that. You can't have that. <laughs> no, my day should that. be two thirds self amusement. If I can't do that, I haven't had a good day. <laughs> right. Right. On that note, let's get to some self amusement. I'm going to play the fancy outro music and off we go. <laughs> 